Welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. Welcome to our evening worship service at Broadway Baptist Church. We're so glad you've tuned in. Powerful time of worship here. You have come to our first Sunday in March, and we are kicking off and beginning a new sermon series here out of the book of Exodus. You know, the past, what, three, four months, we've gone through the life of Joseph. We finished Genesis chapter 50. Now we've arrived in Exodus chapter 1. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Exodus. Exodus is the story of God's redemption. And throughout, if I could pick a theme for this uh, passage, for this series, it would be my people. God's people are in Egypt. Now, Here's some background information. Remember, Joseph, he was the prime minister, and God allowed him to come to power with the purpose of leading all the people. His family, roughly about 70 people, his father Jacob, also named Israel, led them to what they call Goshen, or the land of Ramesses. And that's important because what happened there is the Lord... Uh, allowed them to stay 400 years. They received that land and God blessed their time in Egypt. And the, we know from Exodus chapter 20, there were over 600,000 people in this land. The Israelites, the Hebrews, had really increased greatly in number. So what? if I had a title for this, the, uh, this entire series, I would call it My People. But for tonight, the actual... Title for tonight's text for this would be What Got You Here Won't Get You There. What Got You Here, It Won't Get You There. What Got Them to Egypt was Joseph's leadership under God's mighty hand working and bringing the people into this land to preserve the, their lineage as a family from the seven years of famine. But what will get them back to the land of Canaan, the promised land, will not be Pharaoh. In fact, Pharaoh enslaves them. Pharaoh has become wicked. He's no longer the, the, the man that showed kindness. He's no longer the one that was compassionate upon Joseph and his family. So I want you to turn and follow along in your Bibles right here. Genesis, or Exodus chapter 1. The book of Exodus is the second book of the Bible. It's right after Genesis. I'm going to read the first few verses. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Each came with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. The total number of Jacob's descendants was 70. Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph was already there. So these 11 brothers, they come along and obviously join their other brothers there, join their brother Joseph. And so we have roughly about 70 folks. So this is basically a large family. This is just, here we have this basically herdsmen, and they're in the land of Goshen, which is in northern 
northern Egypt in the, uh, the Nile Delta region up there, the northern part, and they're just basically taking care of Pharaoh's livestock. And in many ways, they're forgotten about. But when 400 years go by, 70 become 600,000 plus women and children. So you're looking at over a million, million and a half people, a massive group of Israelites, of Hebrews, and all of a sudden, the Bible tells us about this new Pharaoh who comes to power. And I want you to understand what Egypt represents in the Bible. Egypt represents darkness. Egypt represents sin. Egypt represents rebellion against the Lord. And that's what we're, we're experiencing here. Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation eventually died. That means that generation that originally came to Goshen their family, their grandkids, all that knowledge of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and what God's working, after, what, 75, 100 years, they're all gone. Even the small children, they're not there anymore. So all of a sudden, this new crop of people are coming to power. They're raising up in their family. And when that occurs, all of a sudden... You get some new faces. And this is why it's so important to teach your children about the gospel. This new generation does not know the Lord. I want to tell you, we live in that time. We live in a time just like the time of Joseph, where it says here, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation eventually died. One generation is going to pass to the next. And it says, But the Israelites were fruitful, and they increased rapidly, multiplied, and they became extremely numerous, so that the land was filled with them. So there's lots of people. They don't know the, they don't know the patriarchs anymore, these new faces. They're playing on these type of devices there in Egypt, and they're just busy doing their own thing. They're hearing maybe stories about Grandpa and the good old days and what things used to be like. But those are days are long gone. Those days are part of the past. And here it is, the key verse for tonight's message. In verse 8, it says, A new king who did not know about Joseph. This new king. Now, in Egypt, the king was called Pharaoh. This new king who didn't know those stories for 400 years ago. Joseph died in 1805 B.C. What happened, 400 years go by, roughly or so. Now it's 1400 B.C. Many generations have passed. Many new people have come along. And it says, He came to power in Egypt. He did not know about Joseph. That is tragic. He did not know. I, think about 400 years. I've shared this so many times. 400 years. 400 years ago this year was the first Thanksgiving with the pilgrims and Indians. That sounds like forever ago. You know, think about it. The Mayflower settled over in 1620. The first Thanksgiving was 1621. In fact, we haven't even reached the first Thanksgiving yet. This year's Thanksgiving in 2021 will actually be a commemorative of the first Thanksgiving, 400-year anniversary. What a long time ago that was. Think about what life was like 400 years ago. How primitive it was. 
They're riding across the sea on a wooden boat. I mean, that just... Who rides a wooden boat anymore? Who even uses wood anymore? Everything's plastic. Everything's digital. Even our fireplace. You know, we're, I, I still think Sherry and I, our fireplace, we still have a... We put logs on. We, have a, we are like the last people yet to get a gas fireplace. You know, I even had one growing up, a gas fireplace. Here in Kentucky, I, don't, I grew up in Alabama, don't even have a gas fireplace here. So you just think, you know, it's nice when you have gas, so you just turn the switch and the fire comes on. It's just, just like that. Here, you have to put wood on, you have to build it, you have to get a star like It's just a different, uh, different culture on building a fire. That's what it's like 400 years ago. Now we have cruise ships. Who rides on a wooden Mayflower? Do you see how times change? And that's what's happened here in, in, in with this uh, new king. He's come along. This is why when you don't teach your children the gospel, when your children are doing other things such as sports, when they're involved in all these other activities, your grandchildren, they're playing on their devices instead of learning about the Lord, coming to Sunday school, coming to church, coming to Awana clubs, coming to VBS, they will not know about the Lord. And I want to tell you, just like you, you remember, it was God's plan to bring them to Egypt. God used Joseph and his family to save all of them. But at the same time, circumstances in their culture changed. And I think that's what we're experiencing here. This new king has come to power. You know, I think about change. One of the things uh, we're doing here at Broadway Baptist Church is we teach evangelism training. How do you share your faith? When I was a young man, I learned the Romans road to salvation. We learned those scripture verses this past Wednesday night at Bible study. This coming Wednesday night, our great North American Mission Board, one of the ways, the tools they use is called Three Circles. And it's a way, a more contemporary, modern approach of sharing the gospel instead of memorizing Bible verses of storytelling. And the storytelling is God's plan, which is God's design for your life. Then you have brokenness, which is sin. And then you have the gospel. Very simple. God has a plan and purpose for you. Because of sin and mistakes you've made, you are broken. And then the gospel, Jesus, the gospel represents good news. That's Jesus. He heals your brokenness. And that's what Christ did on the cross. So what it is, is three circles is a contemporary, modern approach in sharing the gospel in 2021. Back 30, 40 years ago, when I was learning evangelism training, we were using the book of Romans, the Romans Road to Salvation, where you can just grab your Bible. That's all you need to lead someone to Jesus. And they say, why are you telling me this? What does this have to do with Egypt? If we aren't intentional in sharing the gospel with a new generation, sharing the good news with people who are spiritually lost, you will have this new generation, this new king, these new people that do not know about Joseph. They do not know about the workings of the Lord. They are not aware of how God is, has chosen to work. And I think the biblical principle for us is we need to realize we live in a culture of a new king. We can't rely on our government. We can't rely upon educational leaders. You can't rely upon someone else teaching your children about the Lord. You need to be a part of a Bible-believing church. I'm so blessed we're part of Broadway, which is one. And you as a parent and a grandparent, 
that false to you. So it says here, going back in this passage, he said to his people, this is this new Pharaoh, this new king, he says to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. There's a lot of them. That was probably an, ex that was an exaggeration. Do you know when you want to make a point about something, you exaggerate it. You uh, uh, make it a little bit bigger than it really is. Egypt was a superpower. Today, Egypt is not a superpower, the country Egypt. But here, Egypt was a superpower. Superpower meant they had Pharaoh. He was a mighty king. Joseph had made them very wealthy. And he goes and says to the people, the people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further. And when war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramesses as supply cities for Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. So what happened was obviously... Um, they oppress the people. They looked at these people and go, they'll make slaves. These people are in our land. They're not Egyptians. We're going to make them do forced labor. And they built those cities of Ramesses and Python, which were basically the supply cities for Egypt. And they're using slaves to do that. It goes on to say in verse 13, they worked the Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor in brick and mortar. Do you know, you think about rough times, and as, as much as we want to think about rough times, the, these were rough times. These folks had back-breaking labor. They were working from sunup, Sunday, with Egyptian slave drivers telling them what to do with minimum breaks. And they're doing all kinds of field work. So they are out there just working away in the field. And it goes on to say, they ruthlessly imposed all this work on them. So God is allowing us to see a picture of slavery, of difficult, dark days in Egypt. It wasn't easy. They longed for the days of Joseph. They longed for going back to the promised land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But here they are in slavery. The king said to Egypt, or the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, the first whose name was Shipra, and the second whose name was Pua. So they, these were basically women who delivered babies. And they had names. So you would think of all the people, hundreds of thousands of people, you know, there's only two women that deliver baby. Yes, I, that, that would be about right. Because you think about it. If somebody was expecting, they probably had a maternity expectant mother ward. So they kind of knew this is this lady here is getting close to have a baby. These two women were always on call who were ready to make a delivery. So even though you might deliver two or three babies throughout the day, those are, that's all you need for those women. So that even if people went in multiple labors, they're right there. So um, these two women here are midwives. And 
Pharaoh goes and approaches them and says, When you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe them as they deliver. If the child is a son, look at this, kill him. That's infanticide. You're killing a baby. Kill him. And it goes on to say, If it's a daughter, she may live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt, that's Pharaoh, had told them. They let the boys live. Meaning, these two women, and, we, and the Bible calls them out by name, Shipra and Pua, they listen to God rather than Pharaoh. There is sometimes a period in our life where we need to answer to the Lord over that of man. If the government or someone instructs us to do something that is against God's Word, we follow the Lord rather than men. And these are a perfect example. They did not kill the babies, the baby boys. So they're eventually going to have to give an account. And I bet they realize this is a dangerous move to make because Pharaoh was a ruthless king. Anyone who goes about and who's willing to kill children, infanticide, you know that's ruthlessness. Do you know I share this? Because this goes on every day here in America, right here in our city in Lexington. Well, actually, we don't have an abortion clinic here in Lexington. The closest one's in Louisville. But then there's some in Cincinnati, right up the road. But there's a Planned Parenthood office here in Lexington. And there are people here in our college town who right now are considering having an abortion. They're considering doing what Pharaoh commanded the two women who are supposed to help deliver life and give life to actually take life. Abortion is a form of infanticide. It's killing a baby before it's born in the womb. Infanticide is once the baby is born as an infant, you're then killing the baby. Pharaoh said, let's kill the baby boys. We don't want any more men. They're becoming too powerful. Why did they save the women then? Well, women, they, they still wanted people to work in the fields. They didn't want warriors, but they still wanted helpers. They wanted people to serve as house servants. They wanted people to wash their clothes, to cook. So they wanted females for that very purpose, but they did not want the strong men who could lead an uprising against Egypt, who could fight back. They basically wanted the females to serve them. They, they, meaning the Egyptians and Pharaoh, looked at the Hebrews and so these people are going to work for me. These are slaves. And I only want the females because they're going to help me out around the house. And it goes on to say here, the, um, verse 18. So the king of Egypt, so remember, they didn't do what uh, Pharaoh said. King of Egypt here, he summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the boys live? Like, women, I have authority to kill you and take your life. You've disobeyed Pharaoh. You two are supposed to be killing these little boys and you're allowing them to live. Why have you done this? And look at their answer. It's almost like they knew they were going to be called in. The midwife said to Pharaoh, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. That was an insult there. That was a quick jab. For they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. Meaning, 
These women can pop out a baby like this. By the time I'm there, the whole family's already holding it around. So apparently what would happen is, you say, why would, why, why, how would you deliver a baby and kill it if, um, if nobody would know? Well, by the time they got there, the baby has already been born because some other family member had to help out. And lo and behold, the entire family has gathered around celebrating the birth of the new little boy. They're rejoicing with that. And that's important. The principle of that is that if it was just a private birth with Shura or um, um, uh, Shipra, if they were just alone in that delivery area, in that room with the woman, they would kill the baby while it's an infant and make sure it dies. That's what Pharaoh wanted. So he said, hey, you had a baby boy, but he didn't make it. I'm so sorry. That's what Pharaoh wanted. Just for these two women, kind of secretly, hey, I need you to kill these little boys right here. And that way, you would just walk out and say, I'm so sorry, your, your child didn't make it, your little boy, with the rest of the family. When in fact, he, he was murdered. So this is a form of a post-delivery abortion. That's what Pharaoh is asking here. It's infanticide, ruthlessness, it's a sin, it's murder, it's awful. Jesus dealt with this. In a little bit, we're going to flip over in our Bibles and look at that. In fact, let's go ahead and turn there. Keep your fingers here in Exodus chapter 1. Flip over in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Look what happened with Jesus. Jesus dealt with the same thing but in Jesus' case, it wasn't Pharaoh. This time for Jesus, it was King Herod. King Herod was ruthless. King Herod did not want talk of a baby being born in Bethlehem who's going to be king of the Jews. To him, that was a threat on his kingdom. He needed to take care of that situation. And he intended to do that. And it says in verse 16, Matthew 2, 16, Then Herod, now remember, the wise men, have visited King Herod. They went to go see baby Jesus. They brought their gifts. They worshipped baby Jesus. It was a powerful movement of God there. And then in a dream, God, they, the wise men were going to go back to King Herod and report, hey, we found a baby. He's in Bethlehem. But God spoke to them in a dream and they went another route to go home and decided not to visit the king. So King Herod is realizing that he has been outwitted. It says, Then King Herod, in verse 16, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, he flew into rage. He gave orders to massacre all the babies in and around Bethlehem who were two years old in number, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. This is so important. King Herod after probably several months, realized, okay, the wise men never came back. No, so something happened here, and then word got to him that they went a different route to go back home to their land. And it says he flew into a rage. He was angry. Someone disobeyed. These strangers, these Gentiles from a far land of Persia, came and disobeyed his orders. So this is what he did, and he fulfills... A prophecy here in Jeremiah 31.15. This is infanticide. These children died in Bethlehem because of King Herod. 
It says, Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah. Ramah is about the area that, um, in the vicinity of this area where Rachel passed away. Remember, Rachel died during childbirth. Rachel was Jacob, also known as Israel's favorite wife. Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they were no more. And understand that picture. Rachel died at childbirth. Israel believed, Jacob believed that uh, Joseph was killed by the lions, the uh, wild animal, and that's why his son, his sons, other sons brought back the coat of many colors. So here his favorite wife has died. His son Jacob has died, or his son Joseph has died. Now this man, prime minister in Egypt, is wanting Benjamin to come down and take him away. And it says he tore his robes thinking, I have lost everyone. It's just a period of loss. Everyone around me is gone. My two favorite children are about to go. My son's, my, Benjamin is going to Egypt. Joseph is dead. My favorite wife is dead. I buried her. This is awful. It's just a tragedy is what's going on. You've lost the love of your life. This past year has been a lot of death. Some of you have buried the love of your life. You have experienced grief and hardship. And the Bible relates to that. It's tragic to bury someone, especially someone you love dearly, especially a child, especially someone you've been married to 50, 60 plus years. You spent a lifetime with and now you're putting them in the ground. And that's why the Bible says, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refused to be consoled. Many folks, they don't want to be consoled they don't want to. Words seem so shallow. What can you've just lost everything? What good is it you telling me that? When you, when I've just buried family, and all you can say is, I'm sorry. What else do you say? And it's, there's a human emotion saying, I, I don't want to be consoled. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to deal with it. And God's word is telling us here. That just like Jacob dealt with loss, here is Pharaoh trying to kill the Egyptian boys, and here is King Herod in Matthew chapter 2 trying to kill Jesus. Infanticide, sin, evil, it's all around us. Guys, it's here today. Abortion. Murder, hatred, anger, bitterness. All this goes to destroy lives. This leads to ruin in people. Keep going here. Keep going back in your Bibles now. Go back to Exodus chapter 1. Look at this story. What an incredible story. What a setup for an exodus. What a great example that God is doing to, to come in and redeem, raise up a man named Moses and to redeem his people through the Red Sea. It says here, these, the midwives speak up and say, uh, the women are vigorous, meaning God is gracious to them. And all of a sudden, they can have a baby on their own. 
I'm sure the midwives all of a sudden, when they hear there's a birth and delivery, they maybe drink a cup of coffee. They're extra slow getting at that delivery. And they've kind of coached people. Says, let me tell you as a family how to deliver a baby. Just in case I don't make it in time, you will be prepared. In fact, here are some written instructions on what to do in case I don't get there. Hint, hint, I won't be there. It's just that that is what's going on right here. So, but they are, they are very vigorous. Plus the Lord, the Lord's just being gracious to his people. These are my people, he calls them. These are his people whom he's chosen and he's sustaining in Egypt. So God, look at this. Look at verse 20. What a great verse. So God was good to the midwives. And the people multiplied and became very numerous. When the midwives feared God, he gave them families. They feared the Lord, and these midwives who did not have children, they've delivered every child in the world, but God opened their womb, and he gave them a husband, gave them families as well. God honored what these midwives did because they answered to the Lord instead of answering to Pharaoh. It goes on to say, Pharaoh then commanded. Now this is when we really see the darkness getting worse. Pharaoh then commanded all his people. All his people, now these are the Egyptians. First he tried to work through the Hebrew midwives. And he realized, this isn't working. I'm not getting anywhere. They won't take action. They're not obeying my orders. These folks don't listen to me. These women. He goes and commands all his people. You must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let every daughter live. Wow. At that point, it just comes to be. It says, look, these children here, they're alive, but I don't want them to be alive. Just throw them into the river. Egyptians, if you see a little boy who's a Hebrew boy, toss them into the Nile River. Just let go of them. That way we can get rid of them. Now we're just flat out killing the children. We're not even being discreet about it. And that in many ways is what's going on here in our world. Abortion is front and center. People pride it. Death, murder, through video games, through TV shows, through movies. It's paraded as great. It's just casual. You just shoot someone. You run over them. And it's, it's a loss of life whom God created in his image. God wants to see everyone saved. God is using Exodus chapter 1 to show this dire situation for the greatest movement of God. One of the greatest movements, not the greatest. The greatest movement of God is the resurrection. Jesus resurrected. But in the Old Testament, we're going to see the Lord take over a million plus people and deliver them with his hand, raising up a man named Moses to lead them through the Red Sea and wander around in the wilderness. God supplies their needs through quail and manna. All of a sudden, bread from heaven and birds flying in every morning, a brand new meal to meet their needs and supply them. And I think the powerful, powerful act behind this is what the Lord wanted is to say, you were in such a dark, dangerous situation there in Egypt. There was no hope. But I, the Lord, 
I am your deliverer. And the Lord is your deliverer too. I want you to cry out and call out to God. Are you in Egypt? Are you in a difficult, dying place right now? It is almost spring. Next, this next Sunday is Time Change Sunday. All of a sudden, it won't be turning dark at 6.30. It'll be turning dark at 7.30 and beyond. School started back this week for at least two more of our children. You're seeing things get more active. Things are reopening. Folks are getting the shot, the vaccine. And God is saying, don't go back to your old way of life. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't, don't be trapped into this sinful, terrible place. The Lord wants to deliver you from whatever you're struggling with. If you are struggling with sin, if you're struggling with a type of immorality or addiction, I want you to see that God, if God can deliver His people from the yoke of slavery in Egypt, which was a dark place, He can deliver His child, you, from whatever you're dealing with. I want to pray for you this evening. I want you to bow your head. I want you to put your hands up. I want you, you're going to pray for deliverance. Pray for the yoke to be broken from your life. The yoke of bondage and sin. God, I pray for the folks listening. They're listening on Facebook Live and they're listening through our podcast. They're listening through our YouTube page. Lord, they might not be here physically. But Lord, your word doesn't return void. Lord, you break the yoke of bondage and slavery. I pray for your deliverance. I pray for you to do a mighty work in our life. Pray if there's anybody here that is trapped, enslaved by sin. Lord, they will cry out to you and you will set them free. God, we give you Broadway Baptist Church. I thank you for your word. Lord, help us not only read your word, but take action and respond to your word. And right now, Lord, we respond to you. Lord, if anybody needs to be saved, I just pray, they'll pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. Set me free from my slavery. Lord, from this day on, I'm living for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want you to look up. Listen, if you pray and receive Jesus, if you need prayer, our church prays for you. Jesus loves you. God is faithful and true. And he will deliver you from anything you're going through. I want you to be faithful. Every Sunday night at 6 o'clock, we meet. Going through the book of Exodus now. My people. God bless you. I hope to hear from you. Fill out our connection card. I will see you next Sunday.